What's up, dude? Sorry about the wait. Just getting the show ready. And this first article I'm going to be going into is about protective ancient viral DNA in the human genome. And I'm going to mute myself up one more time just to blow my nose one more time before I read this article. And then... Ah, much better. Okay, without further ado. Uh, from October 27th, 2022 in Cornell University, we have found that viral DNA in human genomes embedded there for ancient, from ancient infest, infections serve as antivirals that protect human cells against certain present-day viruses, according to new research. This is not new research. This is something I've learned a long time ago. <clears throat> but anyway, for funsies, uh, the paper Evolution and Antiviral Activity of Human Protein of Retroviral Origin, published October 28 in Science, proves proof of principle of this effect. Okay, so there might be some new information here. Proof of principle here. Previous studies have shown that fragments of ancient viral DNA called endogenous retroviruses in the genomes of mice, chickens, cats, sheep provide immunity against modern viruses that originate outside the body by blocking them from entering host cells. Through this study, uh, though this study was conducted with human cells and culture in the lab, it shows that antiviral effect of endogenous retroviruses, retroviruses likely also exists for humans. Of course. The research is important because further inquiry could uncover a pool of natural antiviral proteins that lead to treatments without autoimmune side effects. A pool of natural antiviral proteins that lead to treatments without autoimmune side effects. That's pretty cool. Okay. <clears throat> Work reveals the possibility of a genome defense system that is not even characterized, but could be quite extensive. So this sounds like epigenetic medicine. The results show that in the human genome, we have a reservoir of proteins that have the potential to block a broad range of viruses, said Frederick Frischott, Frischotte, a professor of molecular biology and genetics in the College of Agriculture Life Sciences. Um, endogenous retroviruses account for about 8% of the human genome, at least four times the amount of DNA that make up the genes that code proteins. Retroviruses include their RNA into a host cell, which is converted to DNA and integrated into the host genome. The cell then forms or follows the genetic instructions and makes more virus. In this way, the virus itself hijacks the cell's transcriptional machinery to replicate itself. Typically, retroviruses infect cells that don't pass from one generation to the next, but some infect germ cells such as an egg or sperm, which opens the door for retroviral DNA to pass from one parent or offspring and eventually become the permanent fixtures in the host genome. In order for retroviruses to enter a cell, viral envelope protein binds to a receptor on the cell surface, much like a key to a lock. The envelope is also known as a spike protein for certain viruses, such as SARS-CoV-2. In the study, Frank Frischade and colleagues used computational genomics to scan the human genome and catalog all the potential retroviral envelope protein coding sequences that may have retained receptor binding activity. Then they ran more tests to detect which of these genes were active. That's expressing retroviral envelope gene products in specific human cell types. 
we found clear evidence of expression, expression, and many of them expressed in the early embryo in, in germ cells, and a subset are expressed in immune cells upon infection. Once the researchers had identified antiviral envelope proteins expressed in different contexts, they focused on one suppression, uh, one, uh, suppression, because it is known to bind a receptor, known to bind to a receptor called ASCT2, the cellular entry point for a diverse group of viruses called type D retroviruses. Suppression showed a high level of expression in the placenta and in very early human embryonic development. They then ran experiments in human placenta-like cells as the placenta is a common target for viruses. The cells are exposed to a type of D retrovirus called RD114, which is known to naturally infect feline species such as domestic cat, while other human cell types not expressing suppression could be readily infected. The placental and embryonic stem cells did not get infected when the researchers experimentally depleted placental cells of suppressant. They became susceptible to RD114 infection. When suppressant was returned to the cells, they regained resistance. Okay, so <clears throat> in addition, suppressant must be like a protein, the protein they're talking about. Um, antiviral envelope protein. Yeah, okay. It's an antiviral envelope protein called suppressant. Pretty cool. Uh, in addition, the researchers did reverse experiments uh, using embryonic kidney cell line normally susceptible to RD14. Cells became resistant when the researchers experimentally introduced suppressant to the cells. The study shows how one human protein of retroviral origin blocks a cell receptor that allows viral entry and infection by a broad range of retroviruses circulating in many non-human species. In this way, uh, Fashade said, Ancient retroviruses integrated into the human genome provide a mechanism for protecting the developing embryo against infection by related viruses. Future work will explore the antiviral activity of other envelope-derived proteins encoded in the human genome. Co-authors include Carolyn Carolyn Coyne, a biologist at Duke University School of Medicine, and Jose Garcia Perez, a molecular biologist at the University of Granada, Spain. The study was funded by Cornell, the National Institutes of Health, the Wellcome Trust, University of Edinburgh, International Strategic Support Fund, the European Research Council, and the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Materials provided by Cornell University, original written by Krishna Ramanujan, Ramanujan, uh, courtesy of the Cornell Chronicle. Uh, journal references John A. Frank, Manavisind, uh, Manavendra Singh, Harrison B. Colin, Raphael E. Kiro, Miriam Brecador, Bozamod, uh, Jose L. Cortez, Jose Garcia Perez, Carolyn B. Coyne, Cedric Fashade shouts out. To the article evolution and antiviral activity of a human protein of retroviral origin pretty interesting and i hope you guys are into uh, astronomy we're gonna do some astronomy shit what's up peter good to see you dude um if there's anything you'd like to hear about in particular and like science related uh drop it in the comments and i will totally make like a whole episode on whatever you're interested in 
Um, I'm just going over what's new right now. Just kind of doing a recap on some of the new stuff. And so we had a stunning meteoroid impact on Mars detected. Let's see here. October 27th, Nat from the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Let's see how long is this one? It's uh, not long. All right, cool. Um, the agency's lander felt the ground shake during the impact while cameras abroad the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter spotted the yawning new crater from space. NASA's InSight lander recorded a magnitude 4. seen on Mars since NASA began exploring the cosmos. What's more, the meteorite, meteoroid excavated NASA's future plans to send astronauts to the red planet. Scientists determined the quake resulted from a meteoroid impact. Um, the meteoroid is estimated to have spanned 16. Thin atmosphere. Okay. Which is at 1% as dense as our planets, uh, in a region called Amazonas Planetia, Amazonas Planetia. It's pretty, that's a pretty name. Uh, blasted a crater roughly 492 feet, 150 meters across, and 70 feet, <laughs> 21 meters deep. Some of the ejecta thrown by the impact flew as far as 23 miles. That's what I'm talking about, boy. It's 37 kilometers away. With images and seismic data documenting the event, this is believed to be one of the largest craters ever witnessed forming any place in the solar system. Many larger craters exist on the red planet, but they are significantly older and predate many, any Mars mission. It's unprecedented to find fresh impact of this size, said Ingrid Nabar of Brown University, who leads Insights Impact Science Working Group. It's an exciting moment in geologic history, and we got to witness it. Insight has seen its power drastically decline in recent months due to the dust settling uh, on its solar panels. The spacecraft now is expected to shut down within the next six weeks, beginning and uh, bringing the mission's science to an end. Oh, it's so sad. Oh, come on, guys. We need some fucking, some emergency uh, solar panel cleaners. There's got to be a better way. We need What we need is a nuclear rover. Dude, what the fuck? Why don't we have a nuclear rover? I guess it's probably too heavy. Um... Insight is studying the planet's crust, mantle, and core. Seismic waves are key to the mission and have revealed the size, depth, and composition of Mars' inner layers. Since landing in November 2008, Insight has detected a hundred. Oh, I'm sorry, a thousand three hundred eighteen Mars quakes, including several caused by smaller meteoroid impacts. But the quake resulting from last December's impact was the first observed to have surface waves, a kind of seismic wave that ripples along the top of a planet's crust. 
The second of the two science papers related to the big impact describes how scientists use these waves to study the structure of Mars crusts. Excellent. What a fucking find. This is some pretty interesting astronomy. I honestly did not expect this to be this interesting. In late 2021, InSight scientists reported to the rest of the team they had detected a major Mars quake on December 24th. The crater was first spotted this February 11th by scientists working at Mullins Space Science Systems, MSSS, which built and operates two cameras abroad. MRO, the context camera, CTX, provides black and white medium resolution images, while Mars Color Imager, the Mars produces daily maps of the entire planet, allowing scientists to track large-scale weather changes like the recent regional dust storm that further diminished inside solar power. So even with 1% atmosphere, they got, they got dust storms. The impact blast zone was visible in Marcy data that allowed the team to pin down a 24-hour period, which the impact occurred. These observations correlated with the seismic epicenter, conclusively demonstrating the meteorite impact caused a large December 24 Mars quake. The image of the impact was unlike any I'd seen. image of the impact was unlike any had seen before with a massive crater exposed to ice in the dramatic blast zone preserved in the Martian dust. I thought it was Lilia Polisova, who I should have done it in a, like a Russian accent, but who leads the orbital science and operations group at MSSS. I couldn't help but be, be imagine what it must have been like to witness the impact at the atmospheric blast and the breeze ejected miles downrange. I don't know why I have such a fun time like building these characters, but I'm just going to read normally from now on. It might be offensive. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a nerd. Uh, establishing uh, the rate at which the craters appear on Mars is critical for refining uh, refining ah, refining the planet's geologic timeline. Okay. On older surfaces, such as those of Mars and our moon, there are more craters than on Earth on our planet the process of erosion and plate tectonics erase older features from the surface. New craters also expose materials below the surface. In this case, large chunks of ice scattered by the impact were viewed by MRO's high-resolution imaging science experiment, the high-rise color camera. Surface ice will be a vital resource for astronauts who could use it for a variety of needs, including drinking water, agriculture, rocket propellant and snowballs um, buried ice has never been spotted this close to the martian equator which as the warmest parts of mars is an appealing location for astronauts not to mention margaritas they can make margaritas with ice uh, more about the missions okay let's just uh skip that part and go to the next article uh i will amend uh, source these things for you guys sorry dudes let's at least get this for y'all and good morning, Peter. Looking forward to your show and looking forward to getting to know what you're interested in so I can make some more refined, targeted episodes. So next article should be pretty cool. I think we've heard about this kind of stuff before. The last one's a killer. Oh, man, last one's pretty metal. We have an absolutely metal article at the very end here. So 
why some people are mosquito magnets from the Rockefeller University, October 27th, 2022. It's impossible to hide from female mosquito. She will hunt down any member of the human species by tracking our CO2 exhalations, body heat, and body odor. But some of us are distinct mosquito magnets who get more than our fair share of bites. Blood type, blood sugar level, consuming garlic or bananas, being a woman, and being a child are all popular theories for why someone might be a preferred snack. Yet, for most of them, there is little credible data, says Leslie Vorshaw, head of Rockefeller's Laboratory of Neurogenetics and Behavior. This is why Vashal and Maria Elena de Obaldia, a former postdoc in her lab, set out to explore the leading theory to explain varying mosquito appeal. Individual odor variations connected to skin microbiota. They recently demonstrated through a study that fatty acids emanating from skin may create a heady perfume that the mosquitoes can't resist. They published the results in Cell. There's a very, very strong association between having large quantities of these fatty acids on your skin and being a mosquito magnet, says Vorsal, or Vosal, the Robin Kimmer's Newstein professor at the Rockefeller University and chief, uh, chief scientific officer of the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Ooh, la, la. A tournament no one wants to win. In a three-year study, eight participants were asked to wear nylon stockings over their forearms for six hours a day. They repeated this process on multiple days. Over the next few years, the researchers tested the nylons against each other in all possible pairings through a round-robin-style tournament. They used a two-choice olfactometer assay <clears throat> that the Obladia, o, o, Obladia, de Obladia built, consisting of a plexiglass chamber divided into two tubes, each ending in a box that held a stocking they placed Aedes aegypti mosquitoes, the primary vector species for Zika, Dengue, Yellow Fever, and Chikungunya in the main chamber and observed as the insects flew down the tubes towards one nylon or the other. By far the most compelling target for Aedes aegypti was subject 33, who was four times more attractive to the mosquitoes than the next most attractive study participant, and an astounding 100 times more appealing than the last, the least attractive, subject 19. Samples in the trials were de-identified, so the experimenters didn't know which participant had worn which nylon. Still, they would notice that something unusual was afoot in any trial involving subject 33 because insects would swarm towards that sample. It would be obvious within a few seconds of starting the assay, says Deo Bladia. It's the type of thing that gets me really excited as a scientist. This is something real. This is not splitting hairs. This is a huge effect. So the researchers sorted the participants into high and low attractors and then asked what differentiated them. 
They used chemical analysis techniques to identify 50 molecular compounds that were elevated in the sebum, a moisturizing barrier on the skin of the high attracting participants. From there, they discovered that mosquito magnets produced carboxylic, uh, carboxylic, carboxylic acids at much higher levels than the less attractive volunteers. <clears throat> okay. These substances are in the sebum and are used by bacteria on our skin to produce our unique human body odor. Okay. To confirm their findings, Vorschel's team enrolled in other 56 people for a validation study. Once again, subject 33 was the most alluring and stayed so over time. Some subjects were in this study for several years, and we saw that if they were a mosquito magnet, they maintained they remained a mosquito magnet. Many things could have changed about the subject or their behaviors over that time, but this was a very stable property of the person. Even knockouts find us. Humans produce mainly two classes of odors that mosquitoes detect with two different sets of odor receptors, orco and IR receptors, to see if they could engineer mosquitoes unable to spot humans. The researchers created uh, mutants that were missing one or both of the receptors. Orco mutants remained attracted to humans and able to distinguish between mosquito magnets and low attractors, while IR mutants lost their attraction to humans to a varying degree, but still remained uh, retained the ability to find us. Yeah, I think we read about that study uh, before, actually. Uh, these were not the results the scientists were hoping for. The goal was a mosquito that would lose all attraction to people or a mosquito that had a weakened attraction to everybody and couldn't discriminate subject 19 from subject 33. That would be tremendous, Borshaw says, because it would lead to a development of more effective mosquito repellents. And yet that was not what we saw. It was frustrating. These results complement one of Borshaw's recent studies, also published in Cell, which revealed the redundancy of Aegis aegypti's exquisitely complex olfactory system. <laughs> it's a fail-safe that the female mosquito relies on to live and reproduce without blood. She can't do either. That's why she has a backup plan and a backup plan and a backup plan and is tuned to these differences in the skin chemistry of the people she goes after. The apparent unbreakability of the mosquito scent tracker makes it difficult to envision a future where we're not the number one meal on the menu, but one potential avenue is to manipulate our skin microbiomes. It is possible that slathering the skin with high appeal of a high appeal person like subject 33 with sebum and skin bacteria from the skin of low appeal person like subject 19 could provide a mosquito masking effect. Not banking on it, guys. We have not done that experiment. <laughs> That's a hard experiment. <laughs> but if that were to work, then you can imagine that by having a dietary or microbiome intervention where you put bacteria on the skin that are able to somehow change how they interact with the sebum, you could convert someone like subject 30, 30, subject 33 into a subject 19, but that's all very speculative. And she and her colleagues hope this paper will inspire researchers to test other mosquito species, including the genus Anopheles, which spreads malaria, adds Vorshaw. I think it would be really, really cool to figure out if this has a universal effect. Uh, I only leave them bugs alone. I find real ways to mitigate mosquitoes. That's not a, I mean, this is interesting, but yeah, I think, uh, There's no getting past that. Um, they go and find you. <laughs> they really are beautiful and amazing creatures, mosquitoes. They're kind of a very interesting fly, I think. 
very creepy vampire fly. Um, scientists discover material that can be made like a plastic, but conducts like metal. Breakthrough could point way to new class of materials for electronics and devices. Uh-oh, this sounds toxic. <clears throat> so, October 26, 2022, University of Chicago. Scientists have discovered a way to create a material that can be made like plastic, but conducts electricity more like metal. In a research published October 26 in Nature shows how to make a kind of material in which the molecular fragments are jumbled and disordered, but can still conduct electricity extremely well. This goes against all the rules we know about for conductivities. Hour, but the finding could also be extraordinarily useful if you want to invent something revolutionary. The process often first starts with discovering a completely new material. In principle, this opens up the design of a whole new class of materials that conduct electricity. Oh man, this sounds super toxic and are easy to shape and are very robust in everyday conditions. technological group of materials that was uh jazze uh G, phd 22 now at princeton the first author on the paper there isn't a solid theory to explain this conductive material I, I think it's harmonic resonance <laughs> i think it's harmonic resonance but they don't want to admit it uh conductive materials are About 50 years ago, scientists were able to create conductors made out of organic materials using a chemical treatment known as doping, which sprinkles in different atoms, atoms or electrons through electrons, sprinkles in atoms or electrons through the material. Okay. This is advantageous because these materials are often more flexible, easier to process than traditional materials. The trouble is they aren't very stable. They can lose their conductivity if exposed to moisture or if the temperature gets too high. But fundamentally, both of these organic and traditional metallic conductors are, they share a common characteristic. They're made up of straight, closely packed rows of atoms or molecules. This means the electrons can easily flow through the materials, much like cars on a highway. In fact, scientists thought a material had to have these straight orderly rows in order to conduct electricity efficiently. Then Xi began experimenting with some materials discovered years ago, but largely ignored. He strung nickel atoms like pearls into a string of molecular beads made of carbon and sulfur and began testing. To the scientist's astonishment, the material easily, strongly, and strongly conducted electricity. What's more, it was very stable. We heated it, chilled it, exposed it to air and humidity, even dripped acid base on it, farted on it, Nothing, nothing happened. Said she, I made up the fart. Uh, it was enormously helpful for a device that has to function in the real world. But to scientists, the most striking thing was that the molecular structure of the material was disordered. From a fundamental picture that showed that should not be able to be a metal. Said Anderson, there sh there isn't a solid theory to explain this. G. Anderson, all right, so. To the scientists astonishment, the material easily, strongly conducted electricity. What's more, is very stable. Okay, so we did all that. Um, 
Maybe they'll get into the explanation down here. Okay. They worked, uh, G. Anderson and their lab worked with other scientists around the university to try to understand how the material can conduct electricity. After tests, simulations, and theoretical work, they think the material forms layers like sheets in lasagna. Even if the sheets rotate sideways, no longer forming a neat lasagna stack, electrons can still move horizontally or vertically as long as the pieces touch. Wow. Okay. 90 degree angle. The end result is unprecedented for conductive material. It's almost like conductive Play-Doh. You can smush it into place, conducts electricity. Scientists are excited because the discovery suggests a fundamentally new design principle for electronics technology. Conductors are so important that virtually any new development opens up new lines for technology. One of the material's attractive characteristics is new opportunities for processing. For example, materials usually have to be melted in order to be made into the right shape for a chip or device, which limits what you can make with them. Since other components of the device have to be able to withstand the heat needed to process these materials, new materials have so no such restriction because it can be made from at room temperatures. It can also be used where the need for device pieces of the device to uh, use. It can also be used where the need for a device or pieces of the device to withstand heat, acid, or alkalinity or humidity has pre previously limited engineers' options to develop new technology. Okay, so like some kind of gnarly, gnarly bots, some uh, hardcore computers. That's fucking metal, dude. Um, the team is also exploring the different forms and functions of the material and what it might make. We think it can make, we can make it 2D or 3D make it porous, or even introduce other functions by adding different linkers or nodes. Like, I want some electric crocs, dude. I want some crocs that ground me to the earth. I'm on it. I'm fucking on it, dude. I want some fucking gold dust crocs that ground me to the earth when I walk. This is what I need. I just got to keep in mind that I got to be careful as fuck in a rainstorm. And uh, maybe do something about that. I, I mean, I don't know how protected I am anyway. But um, this is cool. Um, G. Simon Ewing. I'm just going to link this article instead of trying to pronounce all these names. Sorry, guys, but you guys are awesome for doing the science. This is pretty cool. Making hardcore robots, but um, please use it sparingly and respect. Ah, uh, live music. Oh, I got you. You want some live music? I'm going to show you some live music. I just scored a violin cello and i'm not even kidding you like i have a cello now so i'll bust it out your wish is my command what a cool way to end the show Okay, trying to think of some good, like, 
science music. Like, I wish I knew some Bill Nye jams right now off the top of my head. Be fucking sick. Um, I know they had some songs about gravity and shit. Um, so yeah, I scored a violoncello the other day. Dude, yeah. <laughs> My dog barking in the background. Let's see. What else I got? Like... Something like that. 
that's beautiful, dude. something there there's something there
like that. I'm learning, teaching myself here. No sheet music. Um, later, dude. What's up, Amanda? It turned from a science show into a fucking music show. You know how it go. <laughs> what do you guys want to hear? Like, what kind of science do y'all want to know about? And like, what kind of songs or music do you want to hear? Still learning, but I just taught myself that one. What's up, Amanda? Do you know? I can hear you, kind of. What science do you know? All the science. We can do any science. There's no limit on the kind of science we can talk about. We have the entire universe to explore here. So what's the most exciting science that you've been looking into recently? Is there a particular oh, Today, there's a giant meteor that hit Mars, and it uh, exposed a bunch of ice. Say right that again, because I was uh, about muting, 70 so feet I under. hear part of it. Uh, pretty close to the equator, too, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, we had a meteoroid uh, hit Mars uh, pretty close to the equator, about 70 feet deep. It left a crater about 70 feet deep, and it exposed a bunch of ice. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's uh, pretty close to the equator, so that's, you know. Wow, when day. was this? Yeah, nice and close to the equator, too, which is uh, nice. When was this? Oh, just recently, December 24th. I think it's last December, December 24th. Gosh, that's interesting. I didn't hear about it at all. Thank you for mentioning it. Oh, well, you know, um, that I just read about it this morning, so um, that helps. Uh, some of the most interesting science to me personally of all time is the work of Dr. Michael Persinger. And I'm just going to leave it there. Um, I'm going to have to do a big-ass show on that one day. When I'm ready. Can you I'm gonna be, I'm gonna at be least tell me ready that? topic just of it is human energetics uh oh really okay. mammalian right. energetics animal energetics uh, uh organic energetics <clears throat> and uh really interesting field of science related to like human psychic abilities and um extrasensory perception stuff like that um super interesting science um not a lot of people are aware of it but it's totally there out there it's been around for thousands of years so we've known about this shit um it's just one of those sciences that's been very effectively buried over time and it's no less interesting <laughs> well cool thank you for sharing that yeah, it's awesome. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be rude, but I did show up for Peter's show because he usually goes live at 8 a.m. California time on Sundays. So I don't want to be rude, but I am going to tip out to his show. Thank oh, nice. Yeah, Peter shows up and going. Here. Honestly, I just I was just playing cello for Peter because he requested some music at the end of my show. So oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to follow Fair you guys enough. over there. Yeah. Okay. So you can thank Peter for the music. <laughs> And I encourage everyone to hop over, check out Peter's show. It's great. Uh, I'll let you guys know what it's called right now because I'm cool like that. Um, it's not the all-gen after party. It's not that one. 
Maybe it is the all gen after party. All gen podcast. I don't think that's it. Oh, no, I know that's not it. Um, I'm wondering where Peter's show is. Up oh, here it is. Judicial white privilege, a people's history. That's Peter's show. It's great, guys. Check it out. Uh, catching up with Margaret Garner, Harriet Tubman, Ida Wells, Rosa Parks. This dude has some amazing history on these ladies. So highly recommended y'all check that out. And that is on Colin. Join us on the Colin app. You know, we're cool. Um, and without further ado, that's it. That's the show. See you guys on the other side. Boop.